0: As the children make their way back to their parents, if you'd like you can turn to a passage of Scripture found in Matthew chapter 1, where we will begin this morning, and we'll look heavily to the Scriptures as we reflect upon the marvelous mystery of Christmas. It has been written, who can really understand the depth and the glory of the Incarnation through which God, who created all things reveals Himself as the wonderful, merciful Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords that brings salvation, hope, and absolute promise to the world. As we reflect upon that promise and as we search the Scripture, the Apostle John in his gospel writes, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the world was God." And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the light, this life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The truth of the matter, and reflecting on John's gospel, is the darkness can never overtake the light. The darkness can never veil and cloud the meaning of this season, and in no way will the light of the world be prevented from fulfilling His mission, revealing the gospel and saving the souls of men. But there are times in history when the darkness that is directly tied to the sin and evil in this world can seem most daunting. The first hymn that we sang this morning was entitled, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Perhaps you're not familiar with that history, but it's an important history. It is written from the great poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, who was no stranger to tragedy and darkness in his life. He lost his first wife, who died after a miscarriage. He would remarry, and he would lose his second wife, In a tragic fire and he sought to extinguish the flames of her gown he too was burned and disfigured and forever after that would wear a beard but as a 57 year old widowed father of six children he got word from washington that his son was nearly killed in the civil war almost paralyzed and a journal entry that he includes she reflected on the story of a life on December 25th, 1862, read, A Merry Christmas, says the children, but that is no more for me. On Friday, December 25th, a year later, 19, or 1863, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote the poem that he heard the bells ringing in Cambridge and the singing, Peace on Earth, Goodwill toward men would later be put to music, and it's the very thing that we sang this morning. But if you reflect upon that, you are stricken by the words, And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. As you look at that perspective and reflect upon his writings… He came around to understand that the bells that he had heard and the choruses that were rehearsing the peace on earth and goodwill to men were not promises necessarily for today, but promises for all of tomorrow. And as he listens, there's a recurring theme in the poem that he writes, and all of a sudden he realizes that even and the bleak darkness of despair, God is alive, and righteousness will prevail, and indeed there is good news to all men." Yet Some here today and many others know the darkness of a world groaning under the weight of sin. Some know it more keenly than others as the hurt and pain of life that overshadows the season of Christmas. We move ahead in history a mere 51 years, and we come to a point in history where World War I had just begun. It was known as the Great War and would last for four years and would catapult the whole world into war in Europe. Thanks to new technology and the horrors of trench warfare, there would be unprecedented levels of carnage and destruction in World War I. There's an historic scene that plays itself out in 1914, the Western Front in Europe between the Germans and the Brits. They had dug trenches that went some 30 miles on either side of the Western Front. There would be death and destruction on both sides, and as fall came, the rains came and those trenches filled with water and mud, and they were deplorable conditions. It great discouragement and disappointment to the troops on both sides. Then the freezing temperatures came, and it just added to the level of misery. In between these trenches that stretched for 30 miles was a no-man's land, this space between the opposing armies. And sometimes that space was as little as 30 yards Crossed. If you don't know, upwards of 18 to 25 million people died as a result of World War I. I want to talk about darkness and despair, but something happened on Christmas Eve in 1914 that astonished many. Stephen Nichols, a Reformed church historian, writes, Germans have illuminated their trenches and are singing songs and wishing us a happy Christmas. As he reflects upon this, he he recalls this historic time that on Christmas Eve, there was this Christmas truth that happened spontaneously. It wasn't passed down from the generals to everybody else, but it was the very people in the trenches who had expected that this war would have been over already and they would be home for Christmas. Little did they know that it would last another three years and it would be a deplorable conflict with such death and destruction. The Germans on one side would sing Silent Night, and the British on the other would sing in response the first Noel. And after a while, they both put down their arms and moved into no man's land and greeted each other. There is a a diary entry in the Scots Guard's records That writes, Private Merker met a German patrol and was given a glass of whiskey and some cigars and a message was sent back saying that if we didn't fire at them, they would not fire at us. As this begins to unfold in this period of history, there was a man called Bruce Barnes' father who would later record his recollection of all that happened on that Christmas Eve in 1914. And he starts by saying, here I was in this horrible clay cavity, miles and miles from home, wet through and covered with mud, and there didn't seem to be even the slightest chance of leaving except in an ambulance. As all of this transpired, and some historians say that as much as two-thirds of this 30-mile western front experienced this Christmas truth… Barnes' father would write, so here we were, the actual practical soldiers of the German army, and there was not an atom of hate on either side that Christmas Eve. For many other journal entries and letters, it was known as a, a friendship for a time, a celebration of love at Christmas, and a final realization of the peace on earth, But as you know, that celebration didn't last. Yet in the midst of some of the darkest days of these soldiers, there was a glimmer of hope. Reflect upon Bethlehem today. Perhaps you are aware that in Bethlehem, the first Christian Roman Emperor Constantine built a church called the Church of Nativity in 330 A.D., Underneath that church in a grotto was by tradition considered the very birthplace of Jesus. That church still exists today. And for centuries, people all over the world have traveled to the West Bank town of Bethlehem in the season of Christmas, visiting that grotto under the Church of the Nativity, traditionally believed to be the birthplace of Christ. Yet this year, these world-famous Christmas celebrations in Bethlehem had been put on hold due to the ongoing Israel-Hamas war. And the announcement was made that Bethlehem on Christmas Eve and day would remain dark. There would be no lights, no parade, no tree lighting, and no celebration. The world changed that night that the Christ child was born, yet in the world nothing seems to have changed at all. And the recent history on October 7th talks about the gruesome slaughter of children and parents and the outrageous, inhumane treatments of women that spiraled into death and destruction on both sides of the combatants. What you might not know is nothing changed at all. If we were to go back to Luke chapter 2 and the revelation… Of the birth announcement in Bethlehem, the world even then was experiencing a dark reality of sin in an overwhelming way. For we read in Matthew that shortly after the birth of the Savior, depicted in the text, a shining star cast its light over Bethlehem, guiding the wise men to worship Jesus, but all too soon. The joy of those days was overshadowed by anguished grief. The angel Appears to Joseph in a dream, tells him that Herod is plotting to kill the Christ child they were to flee to Egypt in the night. We know recorded in the text in a fit of satanic rage, Herod decided to eliminate any potential king of the Jews by killing every Jewish boy aged two and under in Bethlehem and the surrounding region. The ruthless massacre of in, innocent in, infants and, and toddlers brought great grief and sorrow and mourning to God's people. That day in Bethlehem and beyond, and history reveals the real tension of the Christmas story. Christ's birth seems like it should have been a, a triumphal moment for God's people. At long last, here was the long-awaited Messiah whose coming signaled the end of oppression and pain and despair. The Savior was born. Yet it wasn't long before first century Bethlehem had to bury all of the slain babies. God had arrived, yet the power of sin and death remained. How could one small town bear to experience its brightest night, followed by one of its darkest days? So who was this child? that brought light into the darkness? Who was this child that came to set His people free? Who was this child involved in all the glorious announcements of the angel? That is the question, and the answer has eternal consequence, for darkness is directly tied to sin, and we live in a sinful world, and even the events in Bethlehem of this day remind us. That it seems darkness rather than light prevails. Some of you know even in your personal lives, darkness oftentimes can veil the glory of the King and the celebration of the season. So, what is most important for us is to answer that question, who was this child born in the manger and why does it matter? And you'll find that in the announcements of the angels through the Scripture There is such clarity as to who He was and why He came, and yet the darkness of the day seems to veil the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've opened your Bibles to Matthew, follow along in chapter 1, verse 18, where Matthew writes, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. These are mere teenagers, and an angel appears to this teenage father-to-be and announces that Mary is with child, and he is perplexed and in wonder at the revelation of an angel. And now was wondering how he gets himself out of this betrothal. He sets out to divorce Mary privately with all of the unresolved questions of a virgin who was pregnant with a child. But as he considered these things verse 20 behold an angel of the lord appeared to him in a dream saying Joseph son of David do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What a critical revelation. She is a pure virgin, and God has done this through His Spirit. He has visited Himself upon her, and the answer to the perplexing questions of your life is that God did this, and she will bear a son, and you shall call His name Jesus, and He will save His people from their sins. How simple an announcement. There is one reason Jesus came into this world, this dark world, as the light from which darkness will never overcome. It is to rescue us from sin. And sin is the very reason for the darkness in the world and the heartache of our lives and the reality of what we see happening before our very eyes all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets, a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. Flip with me to, to Luke chapter 1. And in Luke's gospel, we read a little bit more of the history of what's being foretold. And this time, it's an angel that appears to Mary herself. In verse 26 of Luke chapter 1, from the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. These announcements are chock full of deep theology with soteriological or salvation implications. But the truth of the matter is, as this is revealed, we make no apologies for believing in a virgin birth because God said it was a virgin birth and we believe everything that God said. And to reject that means there is no hope and there is no promise. We've tended to domesticate this message and and to reduce it to a crying baby in in a stall somewhere when in fact we miss the most significant aspects of this revelation. So Gabriel, who comes from the throne of God, verse 28, says to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. It's almost as if the angel is saying, well, here's the good news and then the bad. You have to understand that when angels would appear in both Old and and now in the New Testament, the reaction and response was very much unlike what happens in our world today. There's this funny little anecdote of an exchange between Albert Moeller and R.C. Sproul in a conference one day. As R.C. Sproul had passed on and Al Moeller stopped to, to consider some of some of what took place. He shares this, this funny story of in his message on that particular day. He was speaking of, of angels and the reality of angels and the problem of the culture today of, of domesticating angels by by eliminating deity and transcendence. In the context of his message, Moeller says, we've become the kind of people who put cute little pictures of angels up on the bathroom wall, and we sell them at the mall, wherein in the Bible, when God showed up, you didn't say, oh, how cute, you wet your pants. R.C. Sproul laughed, his belly laugh and told Al Moeller after the message, that's the best line on angels I've ever heard. shed some real light on this announcement. An angel descended from the throne of God and speaking to mere mortals, teenagers, in a glorious and grand announcement. And you can imagine their response. In fact, verse 28 or 29, but, but Mary was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. It was a terrifying revelation. This isn't something that happened to normal people, and oftentimes it was a message of judgment. So, the first thing the angel Gabriel says is, this isn't a message of judgment, it's good news, and God has looked favorably upon you. Verse 30, and the angel said, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This has led to all types of Marian doctrines. That have shifted the attention away from the Christ child to the Virgin Mary. But when you take away the glory of the King, you take away the message of the King, and we can never take away the message of the King and erase the darkness in a world that is still entrenched in sin. behold, Mary, you will conceive in your womb. And you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will be great, and shall be called the Son of the Most High. What, what lofty language the angel uses, having come from the throne of God, and he will be great. It seems like that's a little underdone. Isn't there anything more magnificent you could say? He, he will be great? Well, this is an unqualified greatness. This is a greatness that demands that we honor this child with all of the holiness and glory of His person. This is the kind of of greatness that sets Him apart from everybody else. This is the kind of greatness that the darkness could never defeat. And you shall know He will be called the Son of the Most High God. This is God. In the flesh. He possesses the very nature of God, and He has introduced Himself into this world. There is a glorious announcement of the supreme, sovereign rule of Christ over the universe and these simple messages. But the angel isn't done. And the Lord God will give to Him the throne of His father, David, through the line of His legal father, Joseph. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Of his kingdom there will be no end. You see, this isn't just a snapshot in a moment of time promise. This is a promise for eternity that encompasses that snapshot in time but gives the assurance that in between that snapshot in time and eternity as we know it, this light will not be extinguished and this king shall not relinquish his throne and this king will reign forever and forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. What a glorious announcement. Can you imagine her mind just racing at the content of all That was being shared with her. And Mary said, how will this be since I am a virgin? What a human response. Her concern is that a virgin, she finds herself in this precarious position of being with child. And the culture would shame her. All of this other glorious stuff seems to slip past her in this announcement. Isn't that like life? For a lot of us, the glory of the announcement and the glory of our King and the light that shines in darkness can sometimes be veiled based on our personal circumstances and the things that we're facing, and we've all been there, haven't we? All been there. So she says, how can this be? And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Months ago, God in His Holy Spirit was directing me to this text to prepare for this message on Christmas Eve day in 2023. In the midst of all of that, I couldn't get away from this theme of holiness and worship in the season of Christmas. This holiness, He shall be called holy, is is not some add-on or some adjective to describe. This is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the fullness of the Godhead in bodily fashion. That perplexes our mind that this child was the fullness of the Godhead in bodily fashion, how could it be? But even more so, He is holy, holy, holy. What a glorious thing, what a glorious thing for us to grasp on and understand the depths of that holiness and the grandeur of this announcement. For this holy child is the Son, the Son of God. As Hebrews states, the brightness of His glory, the express image of the person of God, who will hold up all things by the word of His power as He purges our sin. What a glorious, glorious announcement. The theology is deep. The reality is true. The darkness sometimes closes in and veils the holiness, and the glory of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Just as our culture has domesticated the angels, I fear that in the context of church history, and most specifically in evangelicalism today, we've really domesticated this Christ child and robbed him of some of the lofty titles that these angels use and the introduction of this Christ child. And in so domesticating Him, we, we, we kind of fashion and liken Him as we are, and, and somehow we paint this picture that he's, that he's just like us, but He is so far above and beyond us. This is the King of kings and Lord of lords, God revealing Himself to all of mankind, and it had to be that way. Because if He was just like us, in our sin and in our darkness, He never could have rescued us from our sin and from our darkness. Let's be perfectly clear. One of the problems in the church today is we've robbed God of His holiness. we boiled this down to some common denominator of He was a good person and a good teacher. How dare you? This is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I would like to point the finger at the world and say, they've done this, but it's been we ourselves. And in any celebration, we must get back to the glory of this announcement and look beyond our personal situations to begin to comprehend and grasp how significant that this is. You see, every time you miscalculate or get the person and work of Jesus Christ wrong, You undermine the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the attacks on the person of Christ today, the domestication of Christ, and the robbing Him of His his glory as God in the flesh is a direct attack on the very purpose that He came, to seek and to save those who were lost. This is a salvation issue, and unless we get this right, we will never get salvation right. So, here's what's right. The King had come. He was God in the flesh. He would die for the sins of the whole world, and that is the peace that He promises. Do you know Him? not as a child domesticated, in, in, in a manger. The son of the living God, R.C. Sproul, was very fond of, of getting words right. And, and he had this saying that, that often went like this, well, that's right, or, or that's not wrong, but it's just not right. So in an exchange, words mattered to him. And it's because he understood history. Did you know that even in the third century, Mere years after the revelation of Christ and the completion of the scriptures as we know it, people were beginning to rob God of his glory in Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Well, he was just a snapshot. God came into this human being and they began to change the whole story of Christmas. And the church at Nicaea had to address this and say, No, this child is equal with God the Father in substance, in ontology. He is God in the flesh. And out of that was the, the, the council at Constantinople, where there was a declaration of the church that there is a Trinity, God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Spirit, and, and all of those had unique and individual personalities, but it was only one God. You see, there's an attack even today on the good news of the gospel, and it's always about Jesus Christ. And if we can make Him just a mere example or a good man, or a trinket, what would Jesus do? Then the world would be a better place. There is no hope outside of the fact that He was the Holy One, the Son of God. There is no promise outside of the fact that He would reign forever and ever, and of His kingdom there would be no end. There is no Christmas if we get this wrong. So, In Latin, out of the Reformation came this saying, vera homo, vera deus. This Jesus was truly man, 100%, and truly God. Skeptics would scoff and say, impossible. The angel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. What a glorious announcement. Nothing. As we reflect upon this truly God, truly man reality, I'm reminded of what the Scriptures teach in the text that we quoted this morning out of John chapter 1. A little bit later in that first chapter, we read, "'The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world.'" He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name. That is a significant statement when you go back to the announcements of the angels. You have to recall His names. You have to recall the pronouncements of the angel upon this child, the Holy One the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And as you remember in the context of that name, whoever believes in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God. We're born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, for nothing will be impossible with God. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, and it never will. So, as we finish our time this morning, in Luke chapter 2, we read the Christmas story And all its glory. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because it was of the house and lineage of David The angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Isn't it funny? That's always the reaction to the appearance of an angel. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you was born this day, in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. Running through the minds of Joseph and Mary. And now in this text, the shepherds, these simple men tending sheep on a hillside. It's the fullness of the grandeur and glory of this announcement. I think about it this way. The world hasn't changed since Genesis chapter 3. It is captured by darkness because of the sins of men. And this light has come into the world to rescue us from our sin and its promise. And this glorious announcement is to some simple men on a hillside that do nothing more than shepherding. And in the midst of their shepherding, perplexed at this announcement, for unto you was born this day, the heavens cannot be silent. (laughs) Stop and think about this. The heavens cannot be silent. The angels can no longer sit and listen to this. They appear in, in a multitude of heavenly hosts. Glory to God in the highest. This spontaneous worship lights up the hillside. And these shepherds said, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass. That's all we know about the shepherds. We don't know what happened to them after that. We know that they saw the Christ child. We know that they left glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. But little do we know about the condition of their heart and the announcement of these angels returning the shepherd, Tozer once said, a true encounter with God will be permanent and life-changing. The experience for the shepherds may have been brief, but the results will be evident in the life of the person touched as long as he or she lives. We see that time and time and time and time again in Matthew and in John and in Luke. And then we read in verse 19. But Mary treasured of these things. She preserved them. She was keeping track of all of this. She was trying to preserve the memories of of the angelic announcement and all that would transpire after that. She treasured all of these things and pondered them in her heart. She stopped to consider it deeply and thoroughly. She stopped to weigh it carefully. She tried to bring it all together so that it made sense in my mind the great failure, even in Christian homes at Christmas, is the failure to take the time to truly ponder the depths and the riches and the glory of God in these announcements in Matthew and in Luke and in John. And I would encourage you to take the time to consider, to wrestle through the complexities of all of this. And And come to the conclusion and be known that Jesus is both truly God and truly man. It is a reality. It is a marvelous mystery. And it's the ultimate reality in an ever-increasingly dark world. Paul says it this way, God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. That's as good as I can do for you. I've been wrestling this for more than 60 years myself. But every Christmas season, I understand it a little better and a little deeper and in a more profound sense. Isn't it funny that it is the darkest times of life that sometimes reveal most the glory of our King? Life experience has a way of reminding us of the things that we easily lose lose sight of. Sometimes, Sinclair Ferguson writes, we imagine that our greatest need is to move on to higher and deeper teachings of the gospel, but in fact, our real need is to get deeper and a firmer grasp of the main truths of the gospel and the announcement of the angels. May it be so in your life. May it be so in my life and no matter how dark the age becomes. May there be glory in the darkest places, and may it be so that the light will never overcome or be overcome by the dark. Jesus came as a king. He will reign as a king. God always keeps His promises. Glory to God in the highest on an earth peace goodwill toward men. Father, thank You. Scripture is sufficient to cause us to ponder. Scripture is sufficient to answer questions. Scripture is sufficient to guide us through the darkest times, and Scripture reveals to us that neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given amongst men, whereby we must be saved, and for those who have been forgiven, and for those who have been redeemed, both in the future and today we sing holy, holy, holy to the Son of God, the Savior of the world, to the light that shines in darkness. Accept our worship and take us deeper, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.